All right, so we have installment number 16.5. No, wait, how? Installment number six? Are we, we're up to number six now? The sixth installment? Not a single one of you has been paying attention. Nobody can tell me. It is number six, right? And so we, we've been looking at uh, the miracle of mercy. Um, and so your pastor sent me an email containing uh, the notes for the sermon, because, uh, you know, this, this is actually a reproduced sermon from um, Saddleback Church. Um, and so he sent me the, the notes, and it was basically really a transcript, right? It wasn't, it wasn't notes, like, you know, bullet points, and then you kind of expound. No, it was a full transcript of an entire sermon, and it was 15 pages long. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's intense. I, I just want to let you know, I, you'll be very happy to know, Brother Artie, did you bring that pillow? I told him to bring a pillow today because I, probably, I'd probably put you guys to sleep. Um, but I've narrowed it down to a very svelte and sleek <clears throat> nine pages. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, it's better than 15, right? So going over this message, right? And so today we're going to be talking about your ministry of mercy. Everybody point to yourself and say, my ministry of mercy. My ministry of mercy. And so in the past few weeks, the first few installments, uh, my amazing wife, Belinda, she talked about struggling and overcoming guilt and shame, how mercy is accessible in the midst of our guilt and our shame. She talked about God restoring her relationship with her parents after this um, cat, almost you know, seemingly cataclysmic event happened in, in her life. And God used Pastor Victor and Gwen to remind her of God's mercy and how a changed perspective can breathe life and purpose into a bad situation. Right? We remember that the first week. Second week, we talked. We had Nate come up. Everybody remember Nate? Uh, he, he taught on the subject, uh, God can use anybody. Right? Remember, remember he sang us a little song? Right? He said, I think, you don't know who I was. Remember that whole thing? Remember when the glass shattered in the bed? No, I'm just joking. Um, he talked about how a former drug dealer and a, and a former Satanist uh, sat in the middle of a Bible study class frustrated because they knew more than the Bible instructor who had grown up in church um, and how, you know, God uses uh, uh, and chooses people according to his wants and his desires, not according to what we think um, is, is, is uh, up to our standard, right? We have different standards than God. Somebody say amen. Right. God always wants to prove himself mighty, not prove uh, individuals mighty. Pastor Gwen came up and he talked about mercy and my failures. Right. She uh, well, first of all, she was worried. Look at this guy. This guy's amazing. Thank you, sir. That glass is tricky. <laughs> Aren't these guys cool? Our ushers today. Yeah, Julio, you have these guys trained well because they didn't even clap for themselves. <laughs> they stayed still. My armor bearers. One of them looks like the, the, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And the other one looks like Jorge X. <laughs> Isn't it inspiring to see young people involved in church and serving God? 
And you know, I'm joking around, but these guys are serious. They're doing their job. They're amazing. They, they inspire me. Uh, we're, we're grooming leaders in this church. Make no doubt about it. Um, so Pastor Gwen wasn't sure that she was the right one to speak on mercy, right? So I, I remember hearing her say that, you know, I don't know that I, I you know, I wanted to be obedient to God, but, you know, Pastor Gwen, if you know her for any length of time, she's not necessarily very <laughs> merciful. <laughs> she's got something to say. She's going to let, it ha- let you have it. And the way it comes out is the way it comes out. But she did an amazing job. Uh, she talked about um, she talked about the causes of our personal failures. Uh, she mentioned something to me, uh, something that was uh, really good. Talked about brain pollution, right, and allowing the things that we take into our minds and in our into our spirits to then come out and cause us to fail by virtue of us digesting junk. Right? And she she gave us strategies on how to recover from failure. Um, using the Apostle Peter as a, ma- as, a, as, a, as a model, right? She talked about how Peter denied the Lord three times and he was able to recover from that failure, becoming the, uh, the preacher to literally preach the first gospel, gospel message in the book of Acts, right? Then we had Mr. Minister Al. He talked about how mercy forgives. He talked about how we need to learn how to forgive people, uh, people that hurt us, um, he, he, he had a picture, uh, he called it a fresco. I call it a picture. And I believe it was the Sistine Chapel, you know, the famous picture by Michelangelo, and it was the two fingers. And he just kind of discussed how we are so close to God, right? And the, the, the picture is amazing. Um, I've never actually been there, but I've seen pictures of it. And it's, you know, the idea that God's mercy is readily available to us and just just right there, and all we have to do is just reach out because he's so willing to stretch out his hand of mercy towards us, right? Um, he asked us, if God can forgive us, how could we not forgive others? Um, he talked about creating a fortress of solitude for ourselves by imprisoning ourselves with, for, with bitterness. Anybody remember that? Remember he talked about Superman and how Superman had his fortress of solitude? And how we can literally imprison ourselves with bitterness if we don't learn how to forgive. That's very serious. He did a great job. Amen. Uh, Pastor Victor, uh, the week before last, he talked about how much you matter to God. And he talked about how we're the creators of the biggest problems in our lives. And uh, I quote, he said, and when we bust our faces against the wall, He literally said it that way. When we bust our faces against the wall, we like to blame God for our mistakes, right? And he talked about how God saves us because he loves us, not because we come to church and do everything right. And he he reviewed the parable of the 10 coins, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, but the parable about the coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and outlined how incredibly valuable and precious we are to God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back to, to listen to it online. Um, so we are precious to God. Amen. Somebody say, I am precious to God. All right. So, so I'm going to be talking now on the ministry of mercy. And in looking at this sermon, Pastor Victor said, I could do whatever I wanted with it. I could, you know, kind of draw from it, but this was the idea that he wanted to go to. And, um, I actually went online and looked it up and found the actual sermon by a guy named Pastor Buddy Owen, right? Cool name, Buddy Owen. 
I like that name. Um, but he was just very powerful. And the sermon was so powerful that I decided not to preach my own sermon, but I'm actually going to kind of just do his sermon, right? Can you guys kind of live with me on that? Right? So I'm not stealing because I'm telling you I'm stealing, right? It's only stealing if I don't tell you that I'm stealing. It's only stealing if I don't tell you where it came from, but I'm telling you where it came from. And you can feel free to go on YouTube and find, believe it or not, the entire Mercy series as it was preached in Saddleback Church. Um, so if we, if we just take a minute, moment, everybody, let's stand real quick and just say a quick prayer. Just stand and bow your head for just a moment. Master, thank you for the privilege to be in your house today. Thank you, Lord God, for the fellowship, for the music, uh, for giving us the opportunity to have breakthroughs in our lives, for giving us the opportunity to touch you, to receive from you, to hear from you, the, the opportunity to be immersed in your presence, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for the privilege to be called, called sons and daughters, to be the family of the kingdom of heaven. And today I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, would instruct us and guide us, help us to receive your word, that we might take it and run with it, that we might prosper, that we might bless you, that we might bless the kingdom, that we might bless others with your word and with the principles of your word. Uh, Master, have your way in this place. We invite you right now in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I wasn't kidding. It really is nine pages. But I'm going to go through this very quickly, all right? So I, I actually cut a lot of it out. Um, you would be proud of me if you actually saw the whole thing. This week, we want to turn the focus around the other direction and start looking at our new, at our mercy towards other people. Everybody say mercy, mercy towards others. And by the way, I'm going to be doing a lot of reading, okay? So don't be mad at me. Um, how do we allow the mercy that we have received to flow out to people who are around us? All right, so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about God's mercy towards us. Now we're going to kind of turn it around and look at our, our mercy towards others, right? Jesus in the Beatitudes gave us one of the most famous quotations. It's a truth that we have to lock onto and a truth that we have to take hold of about what I'm going to talk about today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 5 and verse 7. Matthew 5, 7, 7, 7, 7. Matthew 5, 7, 7, 7, 7. Let me know when you have it. Have it, have it. You got it? Got it, got it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain or will be shown mercy. Again, it says, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain or they will be shown mercy. So what Jesus is saying, if you want to receive mercy, you have to give mercy. You have to show mercy to other people. Somebody say amen. So what actually is mercy? All right, so if you have a pen and a sheet of paper or something you planned on taking notes on, if you have a cell phone, don't be texting your homeboy. Take some notes down. Oh, yeah, Tito, what are we having after church? I don't want to see none of that. 
Write this down. Mercy is love in action. Everybody say, mercy is love in action. That's right. Mercy is love in action. Now, that's not necessarily the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition. That is the definition that we're going to be using today for the purposes of this message. Um, and also the, the evidence of this we find in Scripture. Mercy is not just talk. Mercy is not emotions. It's not just feelings. Uh, and it's certainly a whole lot more than pity. Mercy is compassionate. Everybody say compassionate. It's showing compassion to others. Now, compassion is an interesting concept. When we talk about people, we use the word compassionate as a descriptive word or, or as an adjective. This person is compassionate towards others. A compassionate man or a compassionate woman. But originally, the word compassionate was an adjective, right? It was a, it was a verb. It was, it was an action word. It wasn't even pronounced compassionate. It was pronounced compassionate. Everybody say compassionate. Now, I know it sounds weird, but apparently that's the old, old English version of compassionate. And it was an adjective. It was a verb. Um, uh, I want you to write down the meaning of compassionate because we're going to see how this fits into the rest of this message. To compassionate, everybody say compassionate. I know it sounds retarded. Bear with me. Is to enter into someone else's pain. To compassionate is to enter into someone else's pain. It's to enter into their suffering, not just for the purpose of feeling sorry for them. But it's to lift them out of that pain. An adjective, a verb, there's action involved, not just a feeling. Let me give you an example. The difference between pity and compassion. Pity would say something like, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? He, he just lost his job. Poor guy. Compassion would say, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? He just lost his job. Poor guy. Let's go over to his house and see if there's anything he needs. Anything we can provide to his family to help him out in this time of trouble. Is that a good example? Um, Pity would say, did you hear about the woman down the street, the single mom who's been in the hospital for three weeks? <sighs> Poor girl, she never gets a break. That's pity. Everybody say, that's pity. Compassion would say, did you hear about the single mom who's been in the hospital for the last three weeks? She just never gets a break. Poor girl. We need to go find out what we can, how we can help her. What does she need right now? Maybe we can help take care of her kids. Does her family need food? What can we do to, re to relieve and to lift her out of her pain? Relieve and lift out of their pain. That's the difference between pity and compassion. Mercy is compassionate. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is not afraid to get its hand dir hands dirty and to step into the brokenness of other people's lives. That's generally something we don't like to do, right? We like to mind our own business. 
We like to let people sort out their own troubles. I know it's quiet because it's true. Right? We like to mind our own business. Let them, ooh, that's terrible. Mm, I'm not getting in the middle of that. Right? Some of us have said it. I know I have. That's what Jesus did when he took on flesh. He became human. He became a man. He stepped into our condition. He came into our humanity. Right? Jesus came and lived as one of us. He stepped into our mess and became one of us, lived as one of us, suffered the same uh, temptations as we do. Somebody say amen. Amen. He stepped into our brokenness in order to lift us out of the condition that we were in. And now Jesus says to us, blessed are the merciful, the ones who show compassion, the ones who care and lift others out. Blessed are the merciful. They're the ones who will receive mercy. Somebody say amen. How many people here want to receive mercy from God? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Take a moment. Think about whether or not you're merciful. Don't don't make weird faces. Don't raise your hand. Don't turn to your neighbor and say, "Mm, I'm not merciful. Don't do that. Just think about it for a moment. What God is saying is that now that you have received my grace, now that you belong to the family, this is how I want you to live. If you're a kingdom person, this is how I want you to live. Be merciful so that you continue to receive mercy. Now, I'm not talking about uh, a works-based salvation. Let's just make that abundantly clear right now. There's nothing that we could do to obtain salvation. This is a different thing that I'm talking about. We've received salvation By the grace of God. Somebody say saved by grace. Not by works. Say it again. Saved by grace. Not by works. But Jesus saying blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. What he's saying is now that you are saved. This is how you do it. All right. Everybody say this is how you do it. Come on. It's a July 4th weekend. We can loosen up a little bit. Mercy is supposed to come in and flow out from the river of your life. It's not supposed to come in and stay in you like a reservoir. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a ring. Who is that? Is that me up here or is that you guys back there? Do I turn off the mics? Pause. Hold that thought. Your call is important to us. We'll connect you with the next available operator. Don't hang up. Thank you for calling. Don't break stuff when you walk past it. No. Sorry about that. There we go. The ring is gone. If you refuse to show mercy, we're cutting ourselves off from the flow of God's compassion towards us. That's an ugly one, right? Should I say that again? Yes, Tony, say it again. If you refuse to show mercy... If you absolutely refuse to show mercy to others, you could be cutting yourself off from the flow of God's compassion towards you. If you are unmerciful, then why should God fulfill his promise of the those that show mercy shall obtain mercy? Why should he 
fulfill that promise to you if you refuse to show mercy. And listen, we are, we are a, a, a revenge and justice-driven society, right? Hollywood makes billions of dollars of ye- a year on TV shows and movies that have uh, revenge as their theme, right? There's a show, matter of fact, on TV called Revenge, where there's a young lady who week after week after week after week plots to get revenge and never gets anywhere. After 17 and a half seasons, she's still trying to get revenge. It's just a never-ending story. Movies, right? Payback. All kinds of stuff. We want justice, and we want it now. But sometimes we forget that we're guilty of a whole lot of things that God had mercy on us for. Somebody say amen. Amen. So what does mercy look like? Jesus gives us a very clear picture of it. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. 40 through 45, chapter 1. I'm going to be looking. uh, By the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Mark chapter 1, verses four, verse 40 says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately, everybody say immediately, The leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. Jesus strictly warned the healed leper. He sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Well, let's talk about leprosy for a bit. Leprosy, it's, it's not very common in our day, but in Jesus's day, leprosy was prevalent and it was widespread. And in Jesus's day, there was no prevention. There was no cure for it like there is now. In Jesus' day, leprosy was a terminal disease. You know what terminal means, right? Somebody go, no mas. If you found out that you had leprosy, you knew you you had problems. You were done. First, leprosy killed the soul and then it killed the body. It killed the soul because a leper was an outcast. He could not be touched by anybody or they themselves would be considered unclean. Leprosy was considered an outward sign of an inward failure. What does that mean? That means that leprosy was the judgment of God come upon your life for some kind of a moral failure that you had, for some sort of sin that you engaged in. God 
God's judgment, his righteous judgment was cast on you and you were stricken with leprosy. Could you imagine that? Is that that particularly true? Of course not. People get sick because they get sick. Not because God is, is judging people in that way. We serve a merciful God, amen? Um, a person who had leprosy was deemed by other people to have been judged by God when they saw someone, a leprous man or a leprous woman. Uh, the assumption was that they did something to bring it on themselves. They've done something to deserve what they had. Um, the Old Testament book of Leviticus tells us what lepers were not, that, that lepers were not sent to doctors, but they were sent to priests. And they were not called unhealthy. They were called unclean. Right? So it's more of a verdict than a diagnosis. You were considered unclean. Unclean. Not sick, but unclean. Here's what the Bible says about leper, how the way uh, lepers were supposed to live. Leviticus 13, 45 says, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! So picture this. You are sick with this debilitating disease that is literally killing you on the inside and the outside. You know you're going to die. You're a walking dead man, and you have to walk around with a sheet covering your mouth. And your hair specifically has to be unkempt and you have to look real raggedy on purpose. And you have to walk around and everywhere you go, you have to literally shout and proclaim yourself unclean. There's something wrong with me. Don't get near me. If you touch me, you will be unclean and suffer the same fate. Could you imagine living that way? This was our leper. This was the man that came to Jesus. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine the physical torment? Leprosy eats away at the flesh and at the nervous system. It's a horribly disfiguring disease. Can can you imagine the kind of confusion he must be, be in? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? Lepers could be whipped or stoned for coming into a public place. They were not allowed to enter a town openly, and they had to live alone. They couldn't even live with their own families. Sounds like fun, right? No, it's terrible. How would, how would you feel? Take a moment and put yourself in that position. Leviticus thirteen forty six says, He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now we know this was the law of Moses. Moses' day, they, when he wrote it, they were in the wilderness. There was a camp that they stayed protected in. And if you were, if you had the leprosy, you had to stay outside the camp, unprotected, shunned and outcast. And you had to constantly proclaim that there was something really wrong with you. 
A leper was a walking dead man. Leprosy was a living death sentence, a complete banishment from the presence of God's people. They weren't even allowed to worship. He wasn't allowed to even go into the places of worship. So what that meant to him was that his worship was unacceptable to God. The only one who could possibly help him, God himself, has now rejected him because he's not allowed to come into the place of worship. That's the condition that our leper is in. In Mark chapter 1. Somebody say, that's really depressing. Somebody say, Tony, stop bumming me out. Here comes the good part. But Jesus comes, but he comes to Jesus in a public place. Mark tells us there's a huge crowd forming, a G, for, forming following Jesus that day. So you can imagine as this guy comes into the crowd saying, unclean unclean. Everybody's parting out of the way because nobody wants to be touched by this guy. And he comes straight up to Jesus in the middle of this crowd. Mark 1 and 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can help me. He doesn't say, if you're able. He knew Jesus was able. He knew Jesus was capable. How many people today are afraid to come into the church and are told that they don't belong to God's people? They believe Jesus could do something, but the question in their mind, is he willing? Is he willing to do it? This man says to Jesus, if you're willing, I know you can help me. My question to you, Jesus, is what are you willing to do? Are you willing to help me or are you just willing to leave me the way that I am? How many people do you think walk past our church during our services that kind of look up at the sign and look in the windows a little bit? They maybe slow down to kind of see what's going on. They see the lights on. They see people walking by. How many of them, of them do you think, think to themselves, man, it'd be nice to go in there one day. They look like they're having a great time. I heard some really good things about Jesus. Yeah, I don't really belong with those people. They got it all together. They might think I'm, I'm no good. They don't know who I really am. The second they figure out I do this and I do that, they're going to reject me. They're not going to want me around. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to help me or are you just willing to leave me the way that I am? There are people around us, all around us, just like a leper who are relegated to the outskirts of society. They're the people who are untouchable, people who just don't quite measure up to the standard that we all expect. And just like the leper, I can hear their voices asking, are you willing? Are you willing? If you're willing, you can restore my dignity. If you're willing, you can help me. If you're willing, you can help me find my life again. If you're willing, you can bring peace to my life. If you're willing, you can relieve my hunger. If you're willing, you can relieve my loneliness. If you're willing, you can show me love and compassion and hope and mercy. If you're willing, you can show me what Jesus is like. 
Are you willing? Those are questions for us today because we could actually do all of that for someone else, for someone who may be considered an untouchable. It's a question I'm asking yourself and myself today. Are you willing? Blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. Take a moment and think about the lepers in your own life. You may have family members. I'll tell you what, I have a family member. My mom is like the most compassionate lady on the planet. She has, she's got more compassion than like seven people rolled up into one. And uh, she has this brother. I won't say his name. Um, and he is, he's been a, a drug addict and an alcoholic and a, and a woman abuser and a thief for decades. And there was a long stretch of time where nobody in her family would let this guy into their house, would let him come to family functions, would lend him anything or give him anything at all. My mom, throughout the entire time, until this day, lets him into the house, uh, blesses him with stuff, loves him, invites him over, cares for him, calls him, looks out for him. And she's actually, you know, there have been a number of times where he's actually, even though uh, she's extended the hand of mercy and compassion to him. He's taken advantage over and over again, but she continues to show compassion. Now, some might, might say, ah, she's a sucker. She's too compassionate. That may be so. If we're looking it through the human lens, what would God's take on that same situation be? I think he'd be pretty impressed. What's more important, to keep yourself from being a sucker or to show God's mercy, be a vessel of God's love and compassion to another human being? Amen? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have a family member like that? <laughs> I said, don't raise your hand. They may be watching. No, just kidding. Hallelujah. Then Jesus said, verse 41, I'm sorry. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus did the unthinkable. He touched a leper, touched him. And when he touched the leper, only one of two things could have happened. Either the man could have been healed or Jesus could become unclean. According to the Lord, when you touched the leper, you also became unclean. It's got to make you wonder, though, how long had it been since anybody had touched that leper? Could have been years. How long had it been since anybody's even looked him in the eyes? Imagine him coming through a crowd. People most likely were cursing at him. Get out of here. Get out of the way. You dirty leper. Don't touch me. Ugh. 
I could imagine uh, human contact. Uh, um, how long had it been since somebody said a word to him that wasn't a curse or wasn't an accusation or wasn't something degrading? How long do you think it, it had been since somebody had wiped his tear or said anything kind to him or given him a hug? It may have been years. There are people like that all around us each and every day. This only, the only friends this man would have had were people in the same hopeless condition that he was in. But look again at Mark one forty one, Moved or filled with compassion. In other words, Jesus entered into his pain. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He didn't just talk to him. He didn't just say, oh, poor guy. He did something about it. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Jesus touched him even before he spoke to him. Before he said a word, he touched him first. It was an immediate show of compassion and mercy. You kind of stop, you, you want to you stop and take a moment and think about uh, the, the state of the church. I heard somebody say that um, the church, you know, we're supposed to be Jesus' hands and feet and mouth. And somehow along the way, the, the body of Christ lost its hands and its feet, and now it's only a mouth. Have we lost our hands and feet? Are we only just a mouth? Are we only just speaking and not doing and touching? Another, another person once said, uh, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Touching someone, entering into their pain first 